You're listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. IATP has always had a history of innovative thinking, and that means launching projects, incubating them, and then turning them into freestanding organizations. Uh, Back in 1996, IATP founded the first 100% fair trade organic coffee company, Peace Coffee. And just last week, we announced that Peace Coffee was uh, sold to longtime CEO Lee Wallace and her business partner, Kent Palowski. Uh, Lee is joining me today to talk about the history of Peace Coffee, uh, to talk about fair trade certification more generally, and to talk about what the future holds. Uh, Lee, welcome to the podcast. Let's start off, um, let's start with the history of Peace Coffee before you got there. Um, uh, the, the company was ran out of the IATP basement for about eight years. Um, so talk a bit about that history and how it got started. Sure, Josh. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So yes, uh, Peace Coffee was founded in 1996. The initial story was that folks from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy um, were beginning to think more globally in the face of NAFTA. So in the lead up to NAFTA, IATP was thinking, okay, you know, we've we've done a really good job thinking about family farms and rural communities here in the United States, but we really need to get more engaged globally as these big trade agreements, you know, we're staring down the barrel of these big trade agreements. So a delegation traveled to Mexico and was talking with coffee farmers in Mexico and saying, you know, in the lead up to NAFTA, what can we do for you? What are the big issues? And the farmers kept saying, you know, we're dealing with subsistence issues here. So in addition to the good work we need of trade policy, we also need markets. And so what we want IATP to do is to consider helping us establish new markets. Well, the conversation went back and forth. And of course, at that time, the folks at IATP were saying, well, we don't buy things. You know, that's that's not our core work. Um, But as you mentioned, IATP has always been a very entrepreneurial organization. So they went back to Minnesota thinking they'd say, well, think about it. And as the story goes that I've heard it, about a month later, the phone rang and it was the Port of Los Angeles saying, we have 40,000 pounds of coffee here for you. How would you like to get it to Minnesota? Um, and, and that was the accidental birth story uh, of Peace Coffee. Um, and, and of course, you know, the folks at IATP said, well, we're in the business of helping farmers. We're not in the business of returning products to them. Um, so people pulled their resources, figured out how to roast the coffee, figure out how to sell the coffee. And at the end of that experiment, had a profit left over. And, and uh, people began scratching their heads and saying, well, maybe this is a real thing we should get involved with. And so it's interesting, you know, you said farmers need markets. And I think that's a real like base level uh, principle we hold at IATP and establishing those alternative markets has been a big part of our work uh, with farm to institution programming, working on farmers markets here in the United States, but it's it's very true that it applies globally as well. And um, IATP uh, shortly after establishing Peace Coffee was involved in the very first fair trade certification uh, program for uh, importing products that are, are, have been produced in an ethical way, have, are paying a fair price to the producers. Um, 
Tell us about the principles of fair trade in very broad strokes. Sure. Very broad strokes. Um, fair trade is about, first and foremost, um, the fact that there are small-scale producers that are price takers. They're very disconnected from the market. They don't understand the value of their product. So one of the big things that's always been core to Peace Coffee and always been core at IATP is the fact that fair trade certification needs to serve these small-scale producers first and foremost. It's about having direct relationships with small-scale producers. It's about uh, being transparent in your business interactions. Um, it's about having a floor price, so recognizing that commodity markets don't recognize the true value of a product that a small producer produces and that there are costs at which or prices at which it is unsustainable for a producer to sell that sell the product. So fair trade has a price floor mechanism, but then if the market is much higher than that price floor, we allow the producers to enjoy the full benefit um, of of where the market's at. Um, and so you got involved in Peace Coffee, I want to say in two thousand six. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Um, how did you get involved? Um, well, I was working from home. I had worked uh, for a long time for an allied organization um, to IATP, a nonprofit called the Resource Center of the Americas, which is no longer in existence. Um, but that's how I got to know IATP. Uh, the Resource Center of the Americas was working on, on similar issues. Um, what is economic globalization? Uh, how is economic globalization changing the face of, of Minnesota and the United States? How is economic globalization uh, uh, impacting the people of Central and South America? Um, I left that nonprofit where I ran all the earned income activities um, and had established a, a little bit of a book of business, um, just consulting with, with nonprofits and for-profits that wanted to use tools and skills of entrepreneurship in order to serve a mission. And that had always been my interest. How do you merge mission and money? Um, and I had met with someone on the board of Peace Coffee, uh, an employee of the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, and um, just talked with them a little bit about my interests. And when um, Peace Coffee was going through a leadership transition, they remembered me and asked me to come in and, and interview uh, for the role of, at that point in time, it was viewed as a kind of an interim CEO or a CEO to help IATP understand what they needed in the next leader of the coffee company. Um, so talk about what Peace Coffee uh, looks like today. How are you um, creating your supply chain from the producers to the marketplace? Sure. Um, so one of the things when I got involved in 2006 that I fell in love with right away was um, the, the incredible um, way that Peace Coffee manages to import its coffee as directly and as ethically as possible. As I mentioned before, that first shipping container of coffee contained 40,000 pounds of coffee, and that's about what a shipping co container um, consists of. So uh, when you're trying to scale a company, buying in 40,000 pound increments is, is really difficult. So our first container came from Mexico. Our, our second container of coffee came from Guatemala. But we were really struggling to understand how do you import or have these direct relationships, but also how do you build a viable business model around growing in 40,000 pound increments? And in 1999, we came together with six other coffee companies that were trying to answer that same question. How, how do we grow? How do we build a business model around the idea of buying directly? And um, we had some conversations and we each agreed to throw uh, $5,000 in, into a kitty and we established our own importing company that's called Cooperative Coffees. So Peace Coffee, 
owns our own importing company, and that's how we source coffee directly from small-scale farmers around the world. Um, and what happens is now there are 22 of us that own this importing company together. We're all fair trade, organic coffee brands. Um, we compete in the marketplace, but we have this pre-competitive collaboration what we all want to do is make sure we're importing our coffee in the most ethical way possible. By owning our own importing company, you know, we quote unquote, sort of in air quotes, own the relationships with these coffee farmers and the cooperatives that they're members of. And that allows us to really um, be in dialogue, understand what's going on on the ground, understanding the needs of different communities. Um, you can't import coffee in the same way from every community and you can't participate in creating um, better coffee growing communities in the same way around the world. You need to customize your approach. What does it mean to import something ethically and maybe contrast that to say the way that a um, coffee company that's not doing it ethically would do it? A key thing that Fairtrade recognizes is that there are many, many small scale producers around the world. So 50%, more than 50% of the world's coffee farmers farm on very small parcels of land. They'll be farming on, an, on less than an average of 11 hectares. One coffee plant produces one pound of roasted coffee a year, and it only fruits one time a year. So these coffee farmers are producing small quantities of coffee, but through fair trade, they um, can bring that coffee to a cooperative and they pool their harvest with all of the other farmers in the area. And the cooperative markets their coffee to people like Peace Coffee. So we're only buying from cooperatives and these co-ops are made up of small scale coffee farmers. Um, now, what I, when I'm saying we're importing as ethically as possible, what that means is that um, we have long-term relationships. So we agree that once we get into a relationship with a coffee cooperative, we're really committed to, to buying from them in the long-term. The reason why that's important is that these coffee co-ops are really engines that are fueling community development in these coffee growing communities. So I'll give you an example. Um, we buy coffee from a Picaform cooperative in Guatemala. We've been buying coffee from them since 1999, which is completely unheard of in the world of coffee. Um, the first time I went to go visit that cooperative, uh, it was um, 2008. And in 2008, the big news was we just got electricity up the side of the mountain and they very sh proudly showed me this one light bulb. Fast forward, we, our green coffee buyer was just down there in Guatemala and um, she was uh, participating in a tasting exercise. It's called cupping and coffee. And she was cupping all the different varietals that they're now um, studying. So we've gone from we just got electricity to we're studying different varietals to try to understand what's going to grow best in our microclimate. That's a tremendous amount of growth and change, and we're very proud to have have been part of that. Um, but what I what I'm talking about when I, I'm talking about importing as ethically as possible, there's there's price, but then there's a whole list of other things that go around the price that you pay, and one of them is those long-term relationships. Um, one of them is being a good partner and, and um, helping out in times of adversity. Um, being, like I said before, being transparent and really getting to know and understand the community's needs. Being committed to fair trade um, is, I mean, essentially at its most simple uh, form means being committed to fair trade as it regards the producers. But at, at Peace Coffee, um, you, you go beyond that. So you're also a certified B Corporation, which means you're meeting ethical uh, guidelines here in the United States. 
And, it, it, and you know, it's, it's, when we talk about uh, ethical consumption, the line I always use is you can't consume your way out of a public policy pr problem. But you run into so many different things where, you know, you're making a trade-off, right? I'm buying fair trade coffee, but the grocery store employees are making minimum wage, for example. But at Peace Coffee, you aim to be sort of like a holistically um, ethically sound um, company. And, and one of the ways you've done that is, be, is by becoming a certified B Corporation, which, as I understand it, is a, is a Minnesota law that allows you to kind of meet the highest ethical guidelines. So talk about that. So, and, and I really credit IETP and their vision and legacy for a lot of this. From day one, when I started at Peace Coffee, the, the, mission, the, the message to me was always, yes, we're a fair trade coffee company, but we want to be so much more. We want to take all of the boxes and show that you can be a good corporate citizen and still make, make a profit. So um, I've always been uh, given the freedom to um, figure out how to continue to improve Peace Coffee as a workplace, improve our impact on the environment. For example, almost 40% of all of Peace Coffee's deliveries uh, still happen by bicycle. Um, we operate out of a green manufacturing facility. Um, but yes, I've, I've always been told, you know, be a good employer, be a good community member, do good work in coffee growing communities, uh, and figure out how to make the company profitable. And, and it's actually a lot of fun. It's really hard work. Um, it's not it's not as simple as just, you know, being a robot of business, as, as I would call it. Um, but it is really fun and you get to be very creative. Last year, Peace Coffee became B Corporation certified. So there's two things. There's the law in the state of Minnesota, which allows us to structure ourselves as a benefit corporation. And what that means is that um, it, it gives the shareholder or the person who owns the company the freedom to say, my job isn't just to maximize shareholder value. I also can consider other things alongside the drive to make a profit. In our case, in Peace Coffee's case, we became a benefit corporation in the state of Minnesota with the stated public benefit of buying, paying a fair price for coffee from coffee farmers. So we're saying, yep, we know we could make more money if we paid less for coffee, which we could do, uh, but, but then you know, we wouldn't be achieving our mission or what we set out to do. So we're saying we recognize that we are lose, leaving some money on the table by, by paying industry leading prices for coffee. Um, Getting B Corporation certified was the next step for us. So that's managed uh, by a nonprofit out in the Pacific Northwest. And it's a very rigorous evaluation of all of your business practices. So everything from what's the diversity on your board of directors, what's the diversity um, in leadership, what's the pay ratio between the um, lowest paid and the highest paid, um, how, how do you exist as a, as a corporate citizen in all, the way, in all the communities that you do business, how do you treat your employees, um, what kind of benefits do they have? So it really looks at, at every single aspect of your business. It took multiple members of my staff months to complete the, the certification. And then what happens is you get evaluated every two years. But in that two-year gap, what's happened is the bar has been raised for you. So when you come back to, to take the certification again, you need to have continued to improve as a business on all those different aspects of business. It's, it's a wonderful tool. I'm really, really excited about it. Even though IETP was really like had a heavy hand or was very instrumental in establishing the first fair trade certification guidelines in the United States, um, there have been a lot of disagreements over what fair trade actually is. And, and even within Peace Coffee, there's been a decision to uh, forego formal certification by certain bodies. Um, 
How did how did that controversy come about? Um, let's start there. So when I got involved, there was very much a struggle in the fair trade movement when I first got involved at Peace Coffee. And the struggle in the fair trade movement was about the business of certifying and how the certification agencies needed to continue to grow. Um, and then the, the actual passions of the people who had started fair trade, if you will. Um, now, I don't mean to say that some people who uh, were involved with the fair trade certification agencies didn't share a long history with fair trade, but it's, it's a very classic struggle. It's the same thing people ask me about Peace Coffee right now. They ask, well, you know, are you concerned that you're going to have to compromise, sacrifice, become less mission focused if you if you want to continue to grow well my answer is you know we've figured it out so far no i'm not worried about it but fair trade certification began to get to the size where one um you know their biggest customers were big companies and those big companies maybe have some different needs than small 100 fair trade um frankly activist-led brands um and and we saw uh, a shift we saw a shift away from producers being the center of the conversation, small-scale farmers being the center of the conversation, to really these, these bigger companies that were looking to get in on the ethical action and, and their needs. Um, so, you know, a number of years ago, what happened was the fair trade labeling organization in the United States dropped out of the international system. And the reason why they dropped out of the international system was because they felt as if in order to continue to grow and continue to certify additional um, products and companies. They wanted to um, shift and certify large farms, uh, commonly called plantations, although that isn't necessarily fair, um, in addition to uh, uh, certifying products that came from small-scale farmers. That caused a huge shakeout in the international system because a number of us, Peace Coffee included, really felt like we hadn't accomplished nearly enough with small scale farmers to begin to dilute fair trade certification uh, and take on a number of, of new products and also um, begin to certify um, farms and um, large, large privately owned farms and plantations. Now, Yes, there's a strong argument to be made that, of course, working conditions should be improved for farm workers. And that's sort of the kernel of the debate is um, should you leave farm workers to, to the side and a number of people feel, no, you need to make sure that farm workers are part of the fair trade system. Um, but then a lot of us felt like, um, you know, we just hadn't gotten enough done and, and small scale farmers um, are really the most vulnerable and marginalized um, farmers in the world. At what point does a farmer stop being a small farmer? What is your definition of that and how do you make that decision when you're buying? Because, I mean, ultimately, if the goal is to improve the lives of small farmers, right, in addition to getting a fair price, there should also be a mechanism for them to grow if they want to grow. So tell me how you think about that. Yeah, it's wonderfully gray. I think of it as the difference between a, a family farm where the kids help out, maybe your brother helps out, maybe your cousins help out, and the difference between a gigantic industrial farm. So typically what I would call a small scale farmer is somebody um, that can't support themselves off of the coffee sales of coffee alone. 
Um, and generally that is the rule that most cooperatives use also. So we're really depending on these cooperatives to police the system. And those, those cooperatives that we work with are still part of the international fair trade system. So they are still getting audited and, and that's our verification system. Um, so th these farmers, these co-ops are, are still getting audited by the international fair trade system to make sure that there aren't any large, I'm gonna use the term agribusiness or industrial coffee farms um, in that co-op but you know coffee is a, is a shade loving plant it grows in the understory and it needs things above it if it's going to be grown organically it's only when you expose coffee to full sun um, that you're going to get all the chemicals and, and pesticides associated with it so typical coffee farm has coffee plants but then it, the, the farmer might also be growing fruits either for sale or for their family's table um, there might be uh, trees on the property that are used for building things. They're going to be used and harvested for wood eventually. Um, so th there's a variety of different things going on on these farms and people are selling a variety of different products. They might be selling cacao, they might be producing honey, um, they might be producing fruit. I guess the last stage, um, you know, we talk about uh, maintaining relationships and, and treating your producers fairly. Talk about in treating the employees and treating you know the general company uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a just way. Um, I think the last step is kind of your relationship with the people who are buying your coffee. And I'm saying this mostly from personal experience of going to churches where uh, peace coffee has been served. Um, is that there's there's at least the community in the Twin Cities feels a real connection with Peace Coffee and wants to support it. So talk about the, the relationships that you've built with your customers, because I think that's the other really important part of the Peace Coffee story. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, what I love to say is, is that people in the upper Midwest understand Peace Coffee um, because our story is wrapped around farmers, right? So we're talking about farms, we're talking about rural communities, we're talking about um, um, you know, the reality of, of rural communities. Um, and so it, it's a really easy message here. We go to the Minnesota State Fair every year um, for years. We've gone to the Minnesota State Fair and we, we have a booth in, in something called the Eco Experience Building and we just chat with folks about who we are and what we're doing. The reality is that as a company that was owned by a nonprofit when we were getting our start, that the only way we had to tell our story was to get out into the community, hand people a cup of coffee, and explain what we were trying to do. So um, that's what we did for years: is just talked to people, and and you know, it just employed guerrilla marketing, go to community festivals, and this was at a time where nobody really thought about who grew coffee. If you think about it, um, the stories of, of coffee producers are much more front and center than they were in the 90s. In the 90s, you knew Juan Valdez, and that's about all. You didn't think about it, and coffee was very much a commodity crop. We were part of this movement to really say, no, coffee's grown by real people. Let us tell you these stories. We really want you to understand um, that, that you know, this isn't a commodity, and, and it's a wonderful beverage. So that's how we got our start with, with um, you know, developing these deep relationships. But we love it. We love being a Minnesota-based company. Um, we love getting out into the community, sponsoring events. We, we donate to a ton of events every year. Um, we, we really like to align ourselves with people that are working to improve um, the environment, that are working to um, work on alternative transportation, that are working um, on food policy. Any, anyone that lines up with our mission, we, we really um, like to partner with them and, and like to get the word out about who we are, what we do, and, and who we like to support. Um, so you've been the, the CEO uh, of Peace Coffee for a while now. 
um, but now you are becoming uh, one of the owners. Um, what, what about Peace Coffee made you want to take that leap? Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm saying this as, as, you know, as, as someone who's got some experience uh, of being a CEO, you probably had a lot of other options that involved a lot less risk. <laughs> um, so so uh, why did why, you put your skin in the game right now? When IATP made the decision that it was probably time to launch Peace Coffee out into the world, I, this question just kept um, ringing in my head. And, and they really turned to me to help them think it through because, of course, the, the good folks at the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy wanted to make sure that Peace Coffee's mission and legacy lived on and they, they could continue to point at Peace Coffee as something that they were proud of and that, and that they had a huge hand in um, owning the company over 21 years. I mean, that's an incredible legacy in history. And, and so I knew it was very important to them that the mission live on. And then, you know, it was, it was really important to me too this is my life. I mean, I, I really, um, as a CEO, I, I work I, I, lots of hours and I have a lot of fun doing it. Um, but I wanted to make sure that my legacy lived on, frankly. Um, and, you know, the other thing is that I, I love the people. I love showing up to work every day. I love my coworkers. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that they were able to continue in their roles and, and you know, that the company just continued to, to rock it. So um, pretty quickly, it took me a while to wrap my head around it. I've never you know, obviously never had any ownership stake in the company. I've never thought about it that way. But I realized, you know, it, it isn't going to be that much of a change for me um, because I'm really dedicated to what we do. And um, I, I really want to make sure that that continues. What's, what's next in line for Peace Coffee now that it's off on its own, flying free uh, with you at the helm? Um, what's your vision? So... A lot of my vision is to keep Peace Coffee, Peace Coffee. We always are very motivated to grow because if we are able to sell more coffee, it means we're able to buy more coffee. Our producer partners have more coffee um, than we are able to purchase. Every year, there's more coffee produced that could be sold as fair trade coffee, but isn't. And that coffee and ends up getting dumped onto the commodity, mar commodity market and farmers get paid less for that coffee than they can. So we're very motivated to increase our fair trade purchases to, to improve people's incomes and, and the livelihoods of folks living in coffee growing communities. Um, you know, what, what we are looking forward to is um, the company needs a, a lot of an investment. Um, there's, we've just gotten to this size where we need some tools that we don't have right now. And that's a conversation that we've been having with IATP over the last couple of years. Um, because we knew that the sale was coming up, um, we, we wait, we're going to wait until after the sale, bring a little bit of additional money. Kent and I are going to bring additional money into Peace Coffee. Um, and what we're going to be able to do is really position the company for that future growth that we're looking for. Um, um, so, so that that would be the the big change, um, and then you know with B Corp certification, what we're really excited about is continuing to improve our operations as a business um, on the ethical side and really, uh, you know, be able to benchmark and make progress toward um, how do we really lean into the, the last 20 years, this gift that IATP has given us and make sure that, that we um, are, are, are that amazing of a company in the, over the next two decades. Well, Lee Wallace, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it, Josh. You've been listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Uh, for more information on what you heard today, you can visit peacecoffee.com. 
And if you want some more of the history in Peace Coffee, you can visit our website, www.iatp.org. I want to remind you that this podcast is available on Stitcher and iTunes. And I want to thank Andrew Arisso for editing the podcast today. Thanks a lot. We'll see you later.